Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds and those who don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where we treat innovation like a daily espresso shot. Necessary, powerful, and a kickstart to extraordinary ideas. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft the business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. I spent last week hanging out with some of the smartest business people I know, and every single time I do, I leave with so many valuable insights. And it's unbelievable what happens when you get a group of amazing business leaders together, especially when they're pretty incredible and generous humans also. And we talked about things like sales growth, scaling, operating systems, AI, building incredible teams, family, and free time. And I've been hanging out with this tribe for nearly 10 years. And the first few years, I used to make a really big mistake after our meetups. And it's a mistake that so many founders and leaders make also. Maybe even you. Yeah, in fact, I made an entire video about that mistakes and I call it chasing shiny objects because it is so easy to do. You see something cool, you hear something awesome and that a super successful person is doing and I would take that and immediately try to plug it into my own business. And results were really mixed because most of the time it wasn't the right next thing for me or my business. And over the years, I think that's become exponentially more difficult with today's whirlwind of technological advances where every new tool, gadget, gizmo, or AI solution is like the next big thing. Everybody should be doing it. And it's easy for leaders to get caught up in a gold rush like that. But true leadership lies in discerning which technologies align with your core strategic vision and which are just shiny distractions. We use a lot of ship and ocean metaphors around here. And have you ever been on a boat on the ocean at night away from land? If, if not, imagine dark, open water, no land in sight, nothing to navigate by, where every flicker of light could be a star, a distracting meteor, or maybe even another boat. But it's the captain's wisdom that helps navigate these waters to get the ship safely where it needs to go. And as the captain of your business, you need to do that too, steering clear of fleeting trends and focusing on innovations that truly propel your ship forward. Think about SpaceX. While the world buzzed about consumer tech and apps, Elon Musk was looking to the stars, focusing on reusable rockets, a venture that many people thought was risky, unconventional, audacious. Yet his focus on the long-term strategic innovation has not only revolutionized space travel, but has also positioned SpaceX as an absolute leader in its field. And as leaders, how do we ensure that we're making strategic technology choices and not just chasing the latest fad? I think first is vision alignment. Every technology investment should be a stepping stone toward your long-term vision. So does the new technology align with where you see your company going, say in one, three, five years? Have you mapped it out? Are you really crystal clear on where you need to be a quarter from now, four quarters from now, 12 quarters? Some tech will absolutely accelerate that vision. Some will delay it and some will completely derail it. If it's a detour, it's probably not worth the journey. 
Number two is strategic advantage. Evaluate how a technology will help enhance your unique value proposition. Does it give you a competitive edge? Does it improve operational efficiency or help you tap into a new market? Can you be number one or number two in that market? Will it make the boat go faster? Does it increase revenue? Does it increase profits? If the answer is no, it may just be a shiny but useless trinket. You know, even if it's really hot in the sector right now. Number three is cultural fit. Consider whether this technology is a match for your team's capabilities and your company's culture. The tool is only as good as the hands that it's in, and if it requires a steep learning curve or a drastic change in business operations, weigh if the juice is really worth the squeeze. And if it is, or if it isn't a fit, how do you need to adapt, and who do you need to hire, consult with, or help lead the implementation? Because in a sea of technological possibilities, the true north for a leader is their strategic vision. So align your tech choices with this compass, and you'll not only avoid the pitfalls of trend chasing, but also harness the true power of innovation. Our expert guest last week was James Allen, who runs Profit Your Knowledge and hosts a podcast by the same name. And in both of those, he shows leaders like you and me how to engage their prospects by creating knowledge products like books, courses, evaluations, and more around their domain expertise. And our founder last Tuesday was author, speaker, and leadership expert, Cameron Harold, dubbed the CEO Whisperer. He, Cameron is the brains behind the COO Alliance, and he talked about the unique role of the COO and the importance of a solid second-in-command strategy and how to run a non-boring meeting that gets results. Well, my guest today is Adam White, a 20-year SEO professional who's optimized over 400 websites built and sold over 20 internet and SaaS businesses. In his spare time, he directs and writes movies. How about that? Welcome a master of value creation, Adam White. Hey Adam, welcome to SaaS Fuel. How's it going? Fantastic. Well, tell me a little bit about your background and uh, you built and sold 20 companies. Yeah, about 20. I frankly have lost count, but I, I think it's somewhere around 18 to 20. I don't know exactly. It's more than a few. Yeah, yes, more than a few. My background is I've started, I just, when the internet first became a thing, it was fascinating to me that you could have a business on this thing called the internet. Obviously, this is back in the late 90s. And so I was just like, what, what can I do? I want to do something on the internet. What is this thing? I want to build a business on there. That just sounds fascinating to me. So I just started, I just came up with a, a dumb idea for a directory of lawn care and landscaping companies. I said, I'll just call it lawn care directory and I'll see if I can get these companies to pay me to be listed on this directory and didn't know what I was doing and it failed. I just didn't get any traction because I didn't know how to get traffic. And, and then I went to college <clears throat> and a friend of mine in, in college said, Hey, my dad, owns this website. Do you want to come work for us and do SEO for some of our clients? And I'm like, well, he goes, we'll teach you SEO. And then you'll get to, and I'm like, yes, that's exactly what the piece I've been missing of how to get traffic. And so I went and learned that. And once I learned SEO, then that, this is early 2000s. And kind of the rest is history. At that point, I just, any idea I had, I knew how to get traffic for it and just went and I just started doing stuff. That makes sense. So what types of businesses yeah. and uh, how did you do that? It's a lot of them 
over the, the years. So how did you do it? How did you come up with the ideas and then, you know, find that the buyers? Yeah, I don't know. There was, I didn't really have a good like method or process in place. It was just like whatever came to my mind. So the lawn care one, I actually ran that for, once I learned SEO, I went back and started getting traffic to it. Then I put together this like basically a little kit on how to start a lawn care business and started selling that. And I ran that thing for 10 years just as a side hustle and probably made, I don't know, thirty to $50,000 a year with that little side hustle. And so it was just awesome money that didn't take any time to, to do because everything was digital and delivered digitally. But yeah, along the way, you just I met other people and, and they were like, hey, we should do some affiliate sites together. And so we started doing affiliate sites and we would just pick industries where, where that had good affiliate payouts where we felt like the people in the industry didn't really know SEO very well. So that, that put us into like spaces like hotel bookings or that was actually competitive. They do know SEO in that industry, by the way, but we did try it. But diet pills, online college degrees, just all those kinds of things. And it just, it worked really well with my SEO background. We were just able to get traffic and make money that way. It was really smart picking industries that have, you know, affiliate payouts. So it's not just the business, not just the site optimization, but there's revenue coming from driving traffic to somebody else's site. Yeah. And the thing I loved about affiliate sites is that you want ultimate freedom. That's ultimate freedom, right? Like you, you get the traffic to your site through Google. Google sends them to somebody else. They the, the other site handles all the transactions and purchases and stuff and customer service. And you just take a cut. And it like we were literally like playing golf twice a day while we were. And then we'd come home and check to see how much money our affiliate sites made. <laughs> Now, this is like 2009, 2010, and it, it was easier to do back then. But frankly, it was awesome, but it also it left me a little bit like just with an empty feeling like I'm not truly satisfied with this because I'm not building anything. And so that's when we start, started. And, and then along that same time, people started, they see the high rankings, they see this affiliate sites, and they start reaching out saying, hey, I want to buy this from you. And I never really intended on selling anything, but when the offers got high enough, I was like, I'd be stupid not to. So I just would do it and sure. knew that I could build something else. Yeah. So how has SEO changed over the years? It's changed. It's changed <laughs> a lot. The principles of SEO haven't changed, right? It's always been get good backlinks. In other, in other words, people linking from one site to, to, into your site and have good content that's useful and you will rank well. That hasn't really changed, although Google's gone through many iterations and updates because they're always trying to basically filter out people that are manipulating the results in a way that produces bad results. Right. They want, as, as long as users are happy with the results, then Google's happy. But if, if users aren't getting what they need out of Google, then Google has to change something to make sure that they are. So I think, I remember 2010, up until 2010, like you could go out and get backlinks and go, all right, I'm going to get a thousand backlinks that say diet pill reviews as the anchor text or the clickable text for those of you who don't know what anchor text is. And if I do that, eventually I'll rank number one on Google. And I did it and it worked. Like I literally could rank number one on Google for diet pills or diet pill reviews, just getting a ton of backlinks that said that anchor text. Sure. But they weren't great backlinks. They weren't relevant and it, it, it didn't add value to the internet. And so it was just a way essentially a way to manipulate the, the search results. And they eventually, it caught up to us, right? Where Google started penalizing 
this what they called unnatural backlink profiles. So anyways, that they, there's always these kinds of updates to make their results better. Now it's just, it's in your best interest to create amazing content that is super helpful to, for the thing that people are searching and then build relevant backlinks from related pages that are, are in that same topic area to those, to that content and you'll do well. And it's safe from those updates because it's helpful to everyone. So how do you know what a good backlink is and a bad backlink and what is an unnatural profile? That's a good question. In fact, I actually built an entire SaaS business about how to fix unnatural backlink profiles or how to create natural ones. I ended up selling that two or three years ago, but so basically what I did was I said, all right, because nobody knew what does a natural backlink profile look like? Nobody would tell you. And so I'm like, all right, if no one's going to tell you what one looks like, I'm just going to go figure it out. So I literally just went to Google and looked at number one ranked pages in like every industry, except like adults or drugs or whatever. I didn't pharmacy. I didn't deal in those industries, but every other industry, I would look at what does the number one ranked page, what does that backlink profile look like? So I'd look at the page rank number one, look at their backlinks, look at every single anchor text, and then categorized every single anchor text to see what it was that Google liked to see. And when I did that, and then I started comparing the categories of anchor text side by side on all these number one right pages, you started to see like just like massive correlations. Like you just see, okay, I get it. How many links you can have that have actual keywords in them? How many links you can have that are just the brand name or just the URL itself is the anchor text? Like you get to see what the percentages are. And so I built... SEO Jet was the name of the company. I built that company around that research and said, all right, I know exactly what to do now to match number one ranked pages. And then it would just keep looking at number one ranked pages and the things shifted. Those, what it would tell you to do also shifted to match what Google liked to see now. So anyways, that was, that's how essentially you want to get links from re related people in the same topic or industry as you is the best way to do it. The more specific that topic is, the better, but even on a broad range, if I'm trying to build links for a puppy website and I get a, a link from another pet website, that's good too, but a, but a dog website would be better, right? So the more specific you can get, the better. But anyways, that that is the overall principle. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And so just by figuring out what the, the number ones were doing, you, you built a SaaS around that. And did that fill the need? Because you're saying not really using your skills before when just building the, the websites, did that kind of fill the, the need, really felt more productive in creating the SaaS? Yeah. Yes, it did. And I felt like I was building a brand that I could be proud of, that I could yeah. get behind, that I could put my name on. And that, and once I did that, I'm like, this is much more my style, right? Like, it's a little bit more work to build a brand than it is to build an affiliate site where you're just a middleman, but I don't, it's, it's satisfying work. So who cares if it's more work, right? It's you're happy. I, I had more fulfillment. And so I was happy to spend my time doing that because the break was nice with the affiliate sites, but it was like, let's do some real stuff that actually matters that will actually help people. So anyway, yeah, that once I did that, I'm like, this is, and I had actually built two other SaaS companies before that. This is before people even said the word SaaS, like it didn't really exist in our vernacular. But at this point, at that point it did. And I was like, this is so much better for me because I had one actually before, I think it was 2011, I built a subscription based software company in the SEO space. And then I, it lost its rankings because it got penalized because of that big update we talked about. And, but the revenue didn't change. 
like my revenue stayed the same. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I, I could have lost everything, but because it's subscription based, I didn't have to resell all these people. Right. And my revenue stayed the same and it was awesome. And, and I could figure out a new way to get traffic and to get the rankings back and stuff. But in the meantime, I, I didn't lose maybe just a little bit of churn, but not much. Anyways, that, those two things made me think, okay, this is such a better way to go from a business perspective. And then you start seeing from an exit standpoint, how many, like what the exit valuations are for SaaS businesses compared to other businesses. And it's just like, there's so much more appealing to investors because of the predictable revenue that it just became a much, it was like, this is the way to go for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So with the other two SaaS companies prior to SEO Jet, were those in SEO as well? Or you know, different industries. Yeah, they, yeah, they both were. I had always been in that. I, I knew all the problems and the pain points of the SEO world, so I knew what products to build to to solve some of those pain points. And they were my own pain points, and I knew that everyone else was filling them too. That's what SEO Jet was as well. <clears throat> so, what were the things that you know, you thought about in, in building the the companies? Did you build to sell from the very beginning, or was that something that came along when the the numbers got high enough? Or what was the thought process going into it? For SEO Jet, I don't know that I was thinking about selling from the beginning. Although I, at that point, I had already sold probably 10 or 12 internet businesses. So that whole, that whole process and outcome was where it was, I was very familiar with it and, and liked it. But I was more just like interested in building, seeing how much I could build it up. I wanted to build it up to, to be a million dollar SaaS company with or to be able to exit for a million dollars as a solo founder. But that goal didn't really come into play probably until about a year after I'd started running it. So I think in the beginning, I was just like more focused on building it, not worrying about the exit. Although I will say that I'm always thinking about selling everything all the time. I don't, nothing's precious to me. And if the right deal comes along, I'll sell. Uh, so what were the challenges in building the companies? bandwidth for SEO jet. The, the biggest problem was I bootstrapped it. I didn't, there was no one, there was no money in the upfront to get it going. Like I had to like literally just take it slow and pay off, basically pay for what I could afford. So that meant that I had a developer who was working part-time full-time job and then worked nights and weekends on my stuff. And frankly was going through a divorce at the, right in the middle of all that. And just, wow. it would take something that should have taken an hour to do would take weeks to get done. And that was detrimental to the business. Honestly, it really did slow everything down so much that it just was, it was brutal sometimes. And I learned to be really patient and just to just, I could have gotten angry about it and had a bad relationship with them, but I just realized that there was no added benefit to do that. And that if I just maintained a level head and under, and just realized it was going to take longer than I could do that. I tried to switch developers at one point and that was way worse. So I just went back and just dealt with mm -hmm. it. So that, that was probably the biggest issue. Also there, there actually was, so SEO jet, and this was a big one, SEO jet in the olden days, like I, I copied the model of another SaaS company that was very successful where they would like when you go to sign up to use their product, it was by invitation only. And that was just like a, literally a marketing ploy to get the email address quickly so that you could then market to them. And so I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So on the homepage, like if you want to sign up for SEO Jet, you had to request an invite by putting in your email address. And so then 20 minutes later, and it would just automatically send them like, hey, you've been approved. Go ahead and, and sign up here. Like it just, it was just like a, a ploy to create a little urgency and to get their email. And it worked really well. And then like 
after a year and a half or so, I don't remember exactly where it was in the timeline, but it just like the business started to like just shrink and it wasn't growing at all and it was dying. And I was getting very depressed and I'm like thinking, I guess people just don't like this tool anymore. It's just not a good tool. Oh, maybe I should just sell the thing for what I can get for it and move on with my life. And, and then just by happenstance, one day I just was like, let me just go audit the whole signup process and make sure it's working right or whatever. Cause some people were signing up still, but not very many. And so I went and requested an invitation with a different email address and waited the 20 minutes and then realized that it went, that the invitation had gone right to my spam folder. Oh, and, wow. And I was like, oh no. And so then I started checking the metrics of that sequence, that specific sequence. And like 98% of the emails of people that requested invitations were going to spam. Like it was almost all of them. So no one was ever getting the invitation. Wow. And so, yeah. When I saw that, I was just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. First, I was glad that my business wasn't a bad business and people still liked it. They just didn't, couldn't ever get the invite. But I think honestly, what I think happened because my other, all of my other email marketing sequences had like a 40% open rate. Like they were just crushing really it. Really good. Like stuff from the blog. But that one from the homepage was its own separate thing. And just, I think one of my competitors, like literally just put in like a, a thousand email addresses in there and to just to get the spam score high on it so that none of the emails would get delivered. I, that's my. I don't know if it's true or not, but I think I'm like, I don't know how else this would have happened because yeah. there was like 6,500 email addresses that had gone in there and never been delivered. They all went to spam in the time that I, before I realized what was happening. Wow. Now, I don't think that all 6,500 of those were legit, but anyways, the reason why I didn't have time to like audit that kind of stuff was because I was doing a lot of the tasks manually that needed to be done. So I hired a just a stay-at-home mom to take over some of those dumb little tasks as a contractor. And, and she started doing that and that freed up the time for me to find this out. Absolute game changer to have yeah. somebody helping like that. So were you solo the entire time with SEO Jet? I mean, <clears throat> other than hiring an assistant down the road? Yeah, no, I didn't ever take on any employees. I had, the, I had my part-time developer who was just a contractor and then I had this one stay-at-home mom who was also a contract worker and that worked part-time and that was it. Other than that, it was just me running the business. What are the mistakes that companies make, uh, particularly now with regard to SEO? I think it's hard to speak on other companies, but I think probably the biggest temptation is to go, all right, we're this new startup. Let's, if we get, if we got ranked for this phrase, <clears throat> we would be doing so well and make so much money. And so yeah. they start going after really big key phrases that they're not ready for. You have to build up your brand equity with Google. And so like you can write awesome content around these key phrases, but what you should be doing is building brand trust with Google. And this is something that I've been preaching since I owned SEO jet. And now it's much more prevalent with the latest Google updates where they want to know that they're dealing with established brands. But anyways, like if you focus on getting backlinks to your homepage where the anchor text of that backlink has your brand name in it, like that's because if you look at like Amazon or anybody who dominates Google, that's what they do. Like their homepage backlinks, there's thousands of them and they all say Amazon, right? That's hmm. the clickable text. So 
that's how you match what these other, just look at one of these huge companies that ranks for everything. Amazon's a great example, like overstock.com, which I guess is now Bed Bath & Beyond, but they're another good example. Yeah. Anyways, so, so that's the biggest thing is going, hey, we're going to write this amazing blog content and go after these huge key phrases right away. Like start with building brand trust and equity with Google and, and then also do the content and that's fine too, but you can't just do the content and build links to that and hope that it's going to work. Yeah. So how do you build links? How do you get good links back to your site? What works today? Yeah, that's, this is a very controversial topic that you're talking about here. You can do blog, guest post outreach. That's the most common, I think, where you go offer to write content for someone else's blog. And then, then when you write that content, you link back to your own stuff, right? That's very common. There are services out there. Help a reporter out, Haro. People, sure. people know that where, it's, where people are writing stories and they're asking for experts to weigh in. And when you weigh in and they use your quote, they'll link to your site. There's actually more than just Harold. There's featured.com. There's quoted.com. There's sourcebottle.com. There's actually a bunch of them. In fact, one of the SaaS businesses that I own now, but frankly, I'm in the process of selling is a outreach tool for PR people, but it also has tools to for backlink outreach, for to do guest post outreach, to do broken link building outreach, which I haven't okay. talked about yet, but also aggregates all the places that like Haro and Quoted and all those that are requesting stories, it aggregates those into one searchable place. Nice. And then you're actually doing the reach out through the tool. Not that, not for those, for everything else, yes, but for the actual like journal re journalist requests where they're requesting quotes, you go back to them and, and pitch. Okay. But then you, when you're doing the pitches, do you do that from the software or do you go out, do you have to go to Haro to actually respond or do you do it from the software? No, yeah, for, for that specific tool, because there's because our we have broken link building, we have guest post outreach, that all happens from the tool. But for, for, those, for those specific ones, Haro and the other ones, you actually have to go, we just redirect you back. We make it, we basically built a little search engine that finds all of the requests okay. unless you search it by keyword. You find stuff that's relevant and then you can go pitch back to them. Got it. And what is that tool called? Justreachout.io. Justreachout.io. We'll make sure and link that in the, the show notes so they can take a look at that. You said yeah. you haven't talked about broken link reach out. What is that? So broken link building is another way to build backlinks. It's actually a really cool way. And one of the reasons that I ended up acquiring Just Reach Out, I didn't build this one from scratch. I bought it from someone else. And entrepreneurship by acquisition is, to me, like awesome. Yeah. But anyways, broken link building is like what, what it's doing is it's looking for, if you're trying to rank for a specific key phrase, it'll go out and look for people who already rank for that key phrase or, or at least have some presence for it on Google and then scan their pages and look for broken links on the pages. And then what you do is you go, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, you reach out to those people and say, I want to let you know, you got a broken link on this blog post you wrote, by the way, we are actually might be a good fit for a replacement link because we have the, we wrote an article just like that what you're linking to and it's awesome and it's way more updated if it's a good fit maybe you could replace that broken link with our link and that's how you're pitching that but it's an easier pitch because it's not a cold pitch you're actually you are helping them by offering to telling them they need to fix the broken link. anyway so that's what broken link building is it's, it's another cool way to build out backlinks I like that because you're helping them out in two ways. One is letting them know something's broken on their site, but two, making it brain dead simple to replace the link 
They don't have to go out and yeah. find something else to link to. Yeah, here's a link to replace it with, and it's just a path of least resistance. You're making it easy. For yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. What other strategies yeah. are, are being used today that that you like? Then, so then the other one is just hiring somebody to do the work for you. Like, I know people. This is the controversial part. Where like, you can't buy backlinks, and it's okay. But if you're going to go do guest post outreach, it's going to just take you time to do it and you do it. Yep. Or you can hire someone else to go do it for you. It's the same exact thing. The process is exactly the same. It's just you're paying someone else to do that for you. Technically, you could be called not calling that paying for backlinks. But what you're really doing is hiring somebody else to do guest post outreach for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. So that's the other one is just like hiring someone else to do the work for you. Obviously, that's the expensive route and why most people don't choose to do that, although companies that have some kind of budget do. So anyways, I'm fine with whatever kind. Those are all good. As long as those the, the people that are doing the work for you are doing it, like they're finding relevant blog posts or blogs to go post on. So it's a match in your industry or niche, then there's no problem with it for me. Yeah. I like that. And I actually do that. I have a full-time PR person. That's exactly what she does is reaches out and, and does media pitches, does uh, guest posts and backlinks, and, and that's specifically her role. And, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's evolved over time. Back in the, the beginning, it was get links anywhere, and that's not a good idea, and then they need to be relevant. How much does it hurt to have links out there that are, are not necessarily, like you said, the pet site versus the puppy site versus some random site? Yeah, I don't know that it hurts you necessarily because like you can't control who links to you. So like one of your competitors could go place bad links all over the place to your site to try to penalize you, which obviously wouldn't be fair to you. Yeah. So I don't think that it really hurts you as much as it does nothing for you. Like it just yeah, it makes sense. there's no positive effect. It's wasted it's just, effort. It's a wasted effort, exactly. Yeah. There might be some minuscule effect that's positive for any backlink, but Honestly, for the most part, don't waste your time on that stuff because it's just not worth the time. So what's an SEO myth that maybe used to be true, but things have changed now? And like backlinks, the backlinks and link farms, that used to be a thing and it's not. So what other myths are there that are out there like that, that the old way versus the way things really work today? I think the biggest one is the myth that SEO is free. Most startups, like that's their go-to marketing channel because it's like, oh, this is free. And it's not free. It's, <laughs> no, it's it, not. Like, it's less free now than it ever has been. And so you just, you're going to pay for your time or for, or someone else's time, right? Like that's the only way it's going to get done successfully. I think there's, I think the biggest, I don't know about a myth, but my biggest like concern about SEO right now is just the massive quantity of AI generated content that's going to flood Google. You know what I mean? Where it's, if they... It worries me that Google won't be able to figure it out because it's just all derivative content, right? Like it's not creating anything new. It's just taking what's out there and creating something different. That's not useful, right? That's not helpful to Google or for a user of Google because it's right. It's just recycling content. So I think the the, the, the temptation is going to be, yes, Let's. this is an easy way to, to add blog post content and it can write 3,000 words for me in, in 20 seconds. And that's the temptation, but it's, look, if you don't figure out how to do the personal touch to this content where it's obviously written by a human, I think that's going to be a very short, it'll probably work in the short term, but be a very short-sighted strategy yeah. moving forward. 
Yeah, so for SEO, I mean, kind of two schools of thought. One is writing for the machine, writing for bots, and then the other is writing for humans. Where do you land uh, in that? Oh, uh, I've landed 100% in writing for humans. Like yeah. the content that I will put out is 100% to be the most, I my goal is to have someone read this and then thank me for it, right? That's what I'm, that's what my goal is. And then if that doesn't match what Google wants to see, then I'll fix that with backlinks. Ah, okay. And should we be working to you know, rank for normal like keywords that we think that our audience is going to be searching for, or long tail keywords, or search phrases, or how should we optimize or be thinking about optimizing our sites? This is a this is SaaS companies that were that are yes. Yeah. Who's the who's the audience here? SaaS companies. Correct. One hundred percent. You should be targeting key phrases that have high buyer intent. So instead of like how to like, I just acquired another SaaS company actually called Serple, which is a really um, cool rank tracking software that we're just going to do some awesome stuff with. Anyways, like I could go try to build like how to rank higher in Google. I could try to rank for those for terms, but that's not. Someone's trying to learn a process. They're not trying, they're not ready to buy rank tracking software. But if I rank for rank tracking tools, Google rank tracking tools, that is a someone who wants to, a tool to track their rankings in Google, right? Like they're ready yeah. to buy, they want to find a tool. So that's a big difference between those two terms. So I go after the high buyer's intent terms where I know they're ready to purchase right now versus just learning about SEO. If you'd like an opportunity to mastermind with a group of exceptionally smart B2B SaaS founders like yourself, check out today's sponsor, Champion Leadership Group. It is the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop themselves, scale their companies, and never walk alone on the journey. Supercharge revenue by leveraging our time-tested SaaS growth principles, toolkits, playbooks, frameworks, all designed to help you scale ARR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries as we uplevel ourselves, our teams, and have some fun along the way. It's pretty cool, right? Confidently take that right next step that turns into a quantum leap of profitable growth, premium valuation, and freedom. That is, is maybe the best explanation that I've ever heard <coughs> for keywords. So it's not just about looking at generic keywords or whatever is is obvious, but you know what what's the buyer intent behind it? What's the search intent? I think that makes so much difference in the, the quality of leads, the quality of traffic that we get. Is it different top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel? High buyer's intent keywords are 100% bottom of the funnel. Like those people are ready to buy right now and they just are looking for the right tool to choose to buy. So you want to be at the top of Google's results when they search because they're ready to purchase. The, the how-to searches are top of funnel. They're going to learn about you but they might not be ready to buy for weeks or months. And maybe you can convince them, but it's just going to be a much lower conversion rate. Now, the bottom of the funnel keywords, those are going to have lower search traffic. And so they're not sexy when you're like trying to do SEO. Let me rank for this and this, but it's look, it doesn't like you can get 20% of them or 0.1% of this super high thing. And you're still going to be make less money. And it's going to be way harder to rank for that bigger term anyways. So anyways, yeah, 100% start with bottom of the funnel key phrases where you know that they're, they have high buyer's intent. And then like alternatives for SaaS people, alternative searches, like, for example, like Ahrefs alternatives is a big term. It gets probably a thousand searches a month. 
But if you're an if you're an alternative product to them, you want to show up for that key phrase because somebody's doesn't like HRS for whatever reason. They're looking for something else, maybe something cheaper. And if you can be there at the top of Google when they search for that, you're, they're much more likely to buy from you. So that's how that's the approach. I think this is a really good strategy, especially in starting out when you're really building for SEO. You want to start with bottom of funnel and where you think it you, you would think that you'd want to start top. But I like that bottom because you want that the high intent buyers and that's what you're getting. And then you can add more content, more brand awareness content, more educational content and over time. But really focusing in on getting those high target or high value leads, high intent leads early in the process. Yeah. Everyone loves traffic. They love to talk about traffic numbers and they think that that's the sexy metric. And I'm like, that's not the, to me. I don't care about metric. traffic. I care about revenue. So <laughs> one of the, the other SaaS business that I own is called Squid Vision. And it literally will track revenue that's generated from your blog posts. Like it'll tell you, here's how many trial signups you got from this blog post. Here's how much revenue it's generated from those trial signups. So you can see like what the revenue is. That's what I care about. That's why I built it. Cause I'm like, I don't care about traffic. I want to know, is this turning into money for me? Otherwise, it's a waste of my time. Yeah, that's really good. What are some of your favorite tools for SEO? I, I already badmouthed Ahrefs, but I actually like Ahrefs and I use it. In fact, that's the first tool that I use when I'm looking to acquire a SaaS company is I'll just go throw it into Ahrefs, see what how much traffic it gets, what it's ranking for, what what the, just a quick overview. Like I mentioned, I just, and this is, super biased opinion, but I just acquired circle.com with two P's by the way. Anyways, it's a really, it's like the, it's a beautifully designed rank tracking tool. That's got other tools in it. And we have some awesome plans for like, I'm just, it's like my perspective as a 23 year SEO veteran of what a rank tracker should be. So we're building out features in this thing that are just going to be like, where you can just get so much value out of one, tracking your rankings and then getting advice on, okay, you're stuck here. Here's what to do next. You know what I mean? So anyways, that one, I use that one every day. It's addicting to go see how things are moving every single day. But ChatGPT's also really, there's a lot of AI tools out there now for content writing. Frankly, I don't subscribe to any of them. I, I do subscribe to ChatGPT and I don't use it to write content for me, but I do use it for idea generation. Sure. Like I said, I'm all about personalization and, and making sure that people know that I really wrote something. So when I just need more ideas for have a section on this and a section on this, I'll use ChatGPT. Other than that, I just create the content myself. Yeah. Very good. In addition to building you know, websites and SEO and SaaS companies, you have a, another business and I don't know if you'd call it a, a side hustle. But you're really involved in creative world writing and directing movies. And those may seem like they're unrelated passions, but how do those intersect and influence each other in your life? Oh, good question. Thank you for asking that. No one's ever asked that before. It's for me, like true happiness is the creation process. Hmm. See, what I love about SaaS is it's a SaaS is never, it's never done. Like you can just make additions and features and build it better all the time. And that's the creation process for me. And that's like true happiness. And the ultimate for that is of creation for me is writing and writing a movie and then directing it. It doesn't have to be a movie. I've written a few books as well, but, and then directing a movie and like literally be on set and have that creation 
just play out in front of you, right? And so that is true happiness and bliss for me. So whenever I can in between SaaS companies, and this is one of the reasons why I'm happy to sell all the time because it gives me more time, but whenever I can, I will do another movie. Actually, I'm planning on hopefully shooting one this next year, just getting ready to ramp up for that. But the script is already done. And anyways, yeah, it's just, it's true fulfillment for me. I love creation. Very cool. What is that movie going to be about? It's been the vein of A Quiet Place. So it's like a kind of a sci-fi thriller, but my kind of my thing is I'm, I have seven kids and family movie night for me growing up, there were, it was, I'm a family of 10, right? We had eight siblings and my parents and we, my dad, we didn't go camping or anything like that. We just, we went to movies. So that's what we did as a family. We watched movies together and, and just the, the movies that are out now, it's, it's destroyed family movie night because you have to plug your, it's your kid's ears or cover yeah. their eyes on so many movies. So I make movies that are family friendly, but also mainstream exciting. And I think A Quiet Place is a really good example of this where there, you know, maybe it's because they couldn't talk, but there's really no swearing. There's obviously no innuendo in there or anything like that. It's just scary and it's fun and you enjoy it. So this one's definitely in that vein where it's family friendly, but at the same time, scary and exciting and thrilling and sci-fi. Very cool. What are some of the other movie projects that you've done? So you can see these movie posters here behind me. This last one we did was called Funny Thing About Love. It's a holiday rom-com, perfect for Thanksgiving time if you're looking for something. I think it's on Hulu and iTunes has it or Apple, Apple whatever that thing is now, Apple TV. And, and maybe even Amazon has it too. I can't remember. It's always shifting. But that one's got Napoleon Dynamite, John Heater's in it. And if any of you old people know Barry Corbin, he's... He was the general in war games from the that movie from the 80s. Mm -hmm. He's old now, but he plays the grandpa on there. And we have some really good actors in there. Brooke White, who was a finalist on American Idol. She's got a role in there. And anyways, good, funny movie, family friendly, good fun. Yeah, I love it when people make content that everybody can watch. And it's it's engaging and fun, not cheesy. Really appreciate the, the content that you're putting out. Yeah, yeah this one is my love letter to Thanksgiving. It's got it's essentially my wife's a big Hallmark fan. And I, okay. she would always be like, hey, come watch this movie with me. And I, I would sit down and watch it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I would just be like, this is not for me. I'm not the target audience. And I would just sit through it because I love my wife. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write a movie that I could enjoy watching with her. So it's definitely got the Hallmark style, except that there's way more humor in it than a Hallmark movie would have that a guy can actually enjoy. And hopefully that's what it does. Love that. Where can people learn more about you online? Follow me on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter and my handle's real Adam White. And that's and it and that's for the SEO SaaS stuff. If you're curious about the movie stuff, it's on Instagram at real Adam White. Same handle. But I keep those two separate because it's different audiences. But sure. Anyways. So yeah, either one of those two, come follow me for sure. Outstanding. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. Adam, really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for being on SAS Fuel. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Fantastic. And so what was the thought process behind building Squid Vision? Where did that come from? Yeah, that's a great question. I, My best friend, who's the head of analytics for one of the big Fortune 500 companies, I was at his house one day and he's like, hey, Adam, I want, you, I want to show you this cool tool that these guys have. So he shows me their homepage and then on, overlaid on their homepage is like, how much revenue every single button and link had made that day. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. But wow. 
I'll never get access to this. This is an enterprise level analytics platform, right? Like it's hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So I both thrilled and depressed at the same time. And like from that day, I could never stop thinking about it. I'm going to build a small business version of this that I can use that other small businesses can use because this is really cool. And we, we just launched the first version of that this last year. It's still a work in progress and we're still trying to dial in all the, the accuracy and everything and, and, and we're getting there. But it's, I spend so much time on this tool, just like saying, okay, my homepage, how much revenue is my homepage generating, right? How many, like the, the main call to action button at the top, is that generating revenue? Are people clicking on it and it's actually producing signups that, that pay? Like I'll go through all my content pages, like any blog posts that rank, the calls to action in those, are they generating revenue? Are people clicking on them and, and actually signing up? Like you can just audit all of this and get an idea of what's actually working. If you're doing paid ads, your landing pages, you literally can see where people are, are clicking and whether or not it's turning into signups and if those trying to, signups are turning into revenue. So anyways, I spend a lot of time on Squid Vision as just for SaaS growth for both Circle and Squid Vision and Just Reach Out. Always trying to... Th- figure out how I can make things better, do conversion rate optimization, landing page optimization, all those cool things. So that's a fun tool. Really like that. Anyways, it's good in terms of SEO, because we've been talking a lot about SEO today, really good for SEO content marketing audits. Like to see if this, like when I bought Just Reach Out, for example, there was a, there was a, one of our biggest um, blog posts was like how to write a press release. And it ranks for almost all those terms around that and gets so much traffic. And zero of that traffic turns into customers. I've tried wow. I tried rewriting the whole thing. I've tried a different calls to action and I just cannot get people to sign up. And I didn't know that until I put into Squid Vision and saw that it was generating no signups and revenue. And so stop focusing on that article, right? Because it's great for the traffic, but it's like we talked about, it's, it doesn't do anything for signups and, and revenue. So anyways, that just to audit your content, it's for that alone, it's very valuable. That's fantastic. I've got to check that out. And that, that hurts a little bit just to think about the content I have out there that I know generates traffic. But yeah, I really do have a sense that it's not leading to signups. It's not leading to revenue. But we spend a lot of time on a lot of things that are not revenue producing. But being able to have something that you can do and, and use and see exactly where revenue is coming from so you can focus on money-making activities and not just a bunch of meaningless or, or feel-good activities. I know. And it's so hard because our pride gets in the way. And it's, I spent so much time on this piece of content. I want to promote it, but it's literally adding nothing to your bottom line. And it's, you just got to cut the cord and walk away and go, let's go focus on stuff that's actually going to make us money. Things that move the needle. It's a hard thing to do, but yeah, exactly. Excellent. Thanks again, Adam, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and expertise. You can learn more about Adam at Adam White. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And of course, check us out on YouTube as well. Subscribe and follow us there. It's Thanksgiving week, so everyone who subscribes this week gets an auto-carving drone. Just place your Thanksgiving turkey on the table and watch this little gizmo just carve it up. Warning, though, it may be a little battle for the wishbone with the drone itself. Join us next Thursday on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series Thanksgiving Day, where my guest is John Barrows. If sales in today's market feels like a little bit of a cat and mouse game, John brings up-to-the-minute strategies to finish out 2023 strong 
and set up for a record sales year in 2024. And the next Tuesday, we have founder, strategic entrepreneur, Andrew Swiler, CEO of Lentaria, a SaaS that is doing very cool things in the HR and people management space. So happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Be safe out there, especially if you're traveling. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.